Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. I remember seeing kids in school, their mothers would like write them notes and their lunch and everything was so perfect and they'd, you know, come and park hours before they got out of school just to wait to pick them up. But like, you know, my dad, it, it wasn't like that. He would let me like taste his beer when I was young and we watched Howard Stern together and like the Howard Stern on E, like the crazy one. This is death, sex, M- and, and what? What is it? Money. Money. We can't do anything until he kills someone. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Well, I give her an orgasm. I need to talk about more. You know, I bet if you told her you'd leave Nick for like a million dollars, she will write that check. I'm Lisa Ling, in for Anna Sale. And when I was asked who I wanted to interview for this episode, there were a lot of reasons that rapper and actor Aquafina was at the top of my list. Like me, she was raised primarily by her dad. Like my kids, she's of both Chinese and Korean descent. And I absolutely loved watching her in last summer's hit rom-com, Crazy Rich Asians. Thank you very much for bringing Rachel. Oh, no worries. Do you want to stop by for some dinner? Oh, no, I couldn't impose. No, it's not a problem. You know, I had some dinner plans. Seriously, we've got a lot. Yeah, fucking come to dinner. That movie was just one of the things that made 2018 a big year for Aquafina. She also turned 30. She co-starred in the all-female cast of Ocean's 8, dropped an EP called In Aquafina We Trust, and hosted Saturday Night Live, only the second Asian-American woman ever to do so. I'm so stoked to be hosting Saturday Night Live. My name is Aquafina. But when she was growing up in Queens, Aquafina went by her birth name, Nora Lum, and her family was not crazy rich. My grandma lost her restaurant. She went bankrupt. The the electricity got cut off her house. That's why she had to move into Queens to raise me. Um, She would lie awake sometimes and, and, you know, we'd be next to each other. And I I asked her, like, what is your only wish, grandma? She was like, just to be able to pay my bills this month. Like, that's what was her wish. It was something that that ate at her. Um, And I I remember as a kid thinking that um, we don't have money. Like, we don't, it's not like that. But money was just one reason why Nora's grandmother moved in. When Nora was only four, her mother died from pulmonary hypertension, and her dad needed a hand raising his only kid. My grandma was my mom. She filled that void for me. Yeah, there there aren't a lot of kids today who are being raised just by their dad. So back yeah. then, what was that like for you as an only child Asian kid being raised by a single dad? I think that 
there were there were certain things that I missed. In many ways, I was I was raised, you know, like a boy, right? Um, I was I was taught catch before I was never given dolls. And I, I like literally, there's pictures of me as a baby playing in a bathtub, and I'm playing with wrestling, wrestling like Hulk Hogan, at, like these little Hulk Hogan figures. Those are my dolls, um, and I think that it instilled in me like a certain confidence that is is masculine at its core like but but not you know in in the ways that you'd think um but at the same time i think that you miss out on 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 things you know this is a kind of sad story but i i remember this so vividly at my mom's funeral my korean relatives had bought me this like beautiful dress to wear and i just threw the biggest tantrum i was like i'm not wearing that and i showed up in like a raggedy old t-shirt and like shorts you know weird things like that what did you know about your mom? Like, do you actually remember her much? I do. Um, I remember, like, little things. I I think I can imagine what it would have been like to be raised by her. I think, um, like, duck. Like, she used to feed me duck when I was a kid. Um, And I was like— And you're talking about duck, you mean the Korean rice cake. The circular rice cake. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, just—so I remember remember those things. And she she was sick for a lot of the time when, when I was growing up, yeah. Even though your dad, uh, was he born in, in the U.S.? He came over very young, like okay. extremely young. Okay, like, so like very, very Western Americanized dad. Yeah. But he probably was not as communicative as actual, like, white American guys, right? Because Asian culture in general is is pretty closed off and oh, uncommunicative. especially with dads. He always, I, there's always, like, that one dad or grandpa that's, like, holed up in a study and hasn't talked to anybody for, like, yeah. days. That was my grandpa. And, um... I think my my dad, it wasn't, I don't think, like a like a way that an Asian grandpa would deal with it, you know? How did he deal with it? He talks about it all the, all the time still, you know? Um, laughs about things. I don't think he ever really got over her, you know? And, I, and he would have dreams where she would come back and he would be, like, mad at her. And did you two talk much about what had happened or talk much about— um, their relationship? You know, when you're four years old, how do you process something like that? So the way that I was able to understand is I, I was watching Bambi. And, um, you know, that scene where, you know, like the most horrible scene in, in Bambi. And there was this silence after he calls. And I remember that that silence, like, really spoke to me, just the, the silence. Um, and that's when I, like, like it really kind of hit me. And... Um, I think I, I internalize it in, in a lot of ways, um, but also I think that it affects me every day. Um, when when you go through adversity at such a young age, you you learn embarrassment, and I think it's embarrassment and humility that really drives um, humor and 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 in in some ways like creation, you know. Um, and those feelings I was so in tune with at, at such a young age. Um, I didn't like crying adults. I didn't want to be the source of like why people were crying. You know, I don't want I don't want to see like family members and they're just crying and and you know, like holding a crying adult. It's just um it's not something a kid wants to do, you know? So And and at what age would you say you kind of realize like I I need to be funny to get over like all the hard shit that I'm experiencing and feeling. Yeah. Um four or five. Well, that's really incredible that at such a young age you recognize that if I am if I'm funny, I don't have to kind of address those emotional yeah, issues. Yeah, I think that I wanted to. I wanted so badly to bring joy, um, and I, I really felt validation through um, bringing joy through through making people laugh. You know, 
But I think that it directly ties into uh, not wanting to get to the meat. You know, you just want to kind of make it light and, you know, get dug out of there. Do you think that there's been a benefit for you of being raised by a man and, and, and having him kind of raise you like a boy because that's the only way he knew how to raise a kid? Sure, yeah. Yeah, and there, there definitely are benefits. I think that um, it's, it's, it's just a different kind of uh, support, safety, like a, like a different kind of feeling of, of your support network, right? You don't, you don't have that person to, like, teach you how to do your makeup or, you know, dress or take care of yourself or, you know, how to deal with that. Like, when I first got my period, my grandma, she used to work at um, the ex- the exchange card department of Stony Brook Hospital and would steal so much. I'm sorry. I don't want her to get arrested. But <laughs> she that she was steal. Like, she took it full advantage. And so, you know, first time I got my period, she was like, okay, I have, I have a thing. And it was one of those pads they give to pregnant women. After it had a belt. That's massive. And things. I was like, wow, like you I have to be belted into this thing, bro. So it just it was um it was it was quite an eccentric uh way of learning how to be a woman. This podcast is called Death, Sex, and Money. Oh great, awesome. So we're just gonna talk about sex so, now. Okay, so great. we're gonna talk about sex now. Okay, great. Um, because I wonder who you talked to about sex, you know, because with with girls, very often it's kind of the mom's role to talk about yeah. sex. Yeah, yeah. My dad, like, it had, I wasn't even alluding to the conversation. He just like brought it up, like, really randomly. He was like, "Anything you do, just wear a bag. Wear a bag, all right." And I'm like, "Why? Why use this lingo with with me right now?" How old were you? Do you remember? In my early teens, like 13, 14. I was like, "I don't want to hear about it." And then like my grandma's whole thing it's it's it always becomes more graphic than I need it to be it's like you know Nora when I when I was in China we didn't have birth control we didn't have condoms um so don't so uh, the moral of the story don't go to Chinese parents for any sexual advice because it never ends well it's always weird it always ends weird well okay so you so you didn't get very productive information about sex but when did you start like I don't know, becoming curious about it or thinking about it. Um, Do you remember those first memories? I, I, yes, I used to think that it was hilarious. Like, you know, in, in the way, same way a seven-year-old boy thinks that sex is hilarious. You know, like, I think that um, more so than sex, it was hitting puberty and realizing that everyone around you was starting to become obsessed with sex. I remember my first day of junior high school, um, I showed up in, like, an and one sweatsuit. I don't know if you don't know what and one is. It's, like, it, this, like, basketball brand. And I remember this also so clearly. A, a guy came up to me and was like, man, why are you wearing that? You're a girl. And it was the first time, the first time that I was ever corrected for what I wore. It was never a thing. Um, and then I realized, like, oh, okay, all right, so now we, I have to learn how to be a girl. I, I actually, you know what, I, I found a journal that I would um, write in when I was that age. And I was reading it and, you know, it was, yes, it was cringy, but I, I like started crying because I remember feeling like so inadequate, you know, and it's not just me. It's like everyone at that age, the inadequacy, the not, the not being sure. Nora ended up going to LaGuardia Performing Arts High School in New York. And in her free time, she rapped and wrote her own songs. It was while she was there, when she was 15, that she started performing under the name Aquafina. But her dad had concerns about her pursuing a career in the performing arts. You know, I was I was a bad high school student. I was a bad kid, bad kid. So I think he was always really used 
to the idea that I would let him down in some way. He never wanted me to become rich so he could move in with me or, or anything like that. He just wanted me to be self-sufficient. And um, if, God forbid, anything happened to him, then I would be okay. So after high school, Nora left New York City for SUNY Albany, where she majored in journalism and women's studies. Then she got a job in a publicity firm back in Manhattan. But from the beginning, it wasn't a good fit. I was diagnosed ADD, ADHD at like seven. The office world, it just was never something I understood how to do. You know, I don't understand how people can just sit there and know what they're doing and have purpose. Like, how's that possible? I I didn't know. I, to this day, don't know what a publicist is. And I was one. (laughs) You were working as a publicist or a publicist assistant. Yeah. But, you know, let's be, I was a bad, I was bad at my job. Um, I would go, I would go to work. I would go home. And then that was my time. And I would get home by like five or six on the, you know, rush hour. And I would open my computer and I would make beats until four in the morning. I'd wake up and then not go to sleep, six, go to work. That's how much I needed that because every day I spent wondering, like, what am I doing here? Like, what what is this? Why am I so useless? Like, why do I not understand? Um, And so going home and making beats, like, that was me. That was my life. And then on her 23rd birthday, Nora shot a music video for one of her original songs and put it on YouTube. My veg, like an operatic ballad. Yo veg, like grandpa's cabbage. And my veg, effortless. Yo veg, posted on Craigslist. My veg. It's the craziest thing I've ever done. Um, and my boss, you know how they have like obligatory office birthdays. I went in and... Um, she was like, oh, so what did you do for your birthday? And, uh, and, and uh, you know, I told her, and then I told her what the video was called and um, immediately got this kind of email that, you know, wasn't really malicious in nature, but it was just kind of just like, be careful, you know, be careful what you put on the internet, it stays out there, you know, you don't want to, bear, you know, bear, like that, that kind of email. And it was just a kind of like a slap in the face. Like, if I, if I can't have that, like, what do I have? I don't, what, like, I have nothing, I have nothing. But then also I forgot to send out the New York Times bestseller list, which is essentially just spam mail to the entire company. So I was really bad at what I was doing, right? And I think that was the last straw. It was like my vag, New York Times, and then that was it. I really wish that it was a situation where I was like, okay, fine, I quit. But it wasn't. Like, I just got fired. How did that affect you, getting fired? It traumatized me. Uh, I still don't think I'm really that over it. Like, I, I still think it makes me feel, like, completely inadequate. I don't think I've ever really gotten closure. And I think my dad, at a, at a certain point, he stopped believing, and I think that was the biggest letdown, you know, when, when he lost hope in me. Um, it was kind of just, like, proof of something that he already knew, that I would not be good at adulting. You know, this is not—I I couldn't do it. Um, and then, you know— Around that time, when I got fired, he would, like, send me these jobs. And they weren't, like, lit jobs. They were, like, meat inspector, air traffic controller, you know? Like, I don't want to disparage those jobs, but, like, medium hanging fruits compared to, like, wanting to go to law school or something, you know? Like, um, like a sonogram technician was another one. But, but and which is fine. I, I, I actually did apply to become a sonogram technician. <laughs> like, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I, I hope that he wanted more for me. Coming up, Nora hits it big as Aquafina, and along the way realizes that she's seeing some patterns in her personal life. A lot of the guys that I've dated have had one celebrity crush, and that was Janine Garofalo. <laughs> so there's there's a type, you know what I mean? And I and I love Janine Garofalo, but you know that that's the kind of guy. 
Hey, this is Katie Bishop, one of the producers here at Death, Sex, and Money. And this episode with Lisa Ling and Aquafina is the kickoff of our 2019 Maternity Leave lineup. It's a series of guest-hosted episodes we're featuring while our regular host, Anna Sale, is out for the next couple of months. We asked a bunch of our favorite former Death, Sex, and Money guests, and some new folks, too, to take a turn in the host chair. You'll also hear from Jason Isbell, Ellen Burstyn, Damon Young, John Cameron Mitchell, and some others, talking with the people they're most curious about. And they're digging into things in life, like Death, Sex, and Money, that don't usually come up in polite conversation. I weigh myself when I get out of the shower, and that's how much I weigh. I mean, my family doesn't ask me for money, but I know that they're struggling. Just getting sober didn't make me all of a sudden happy. Everything in the world did yeah, not change. it doesn't change. fix you. And if you're just discovering our show, welcome. If you want to hear more of what we usually do here, check out our episode when we had Lisa Ling on as a guest. She talked about being raised by her dad, dancing on tables during her single days, and going through two miscarriages. Up until that point... I felt like I could do anything. You know, I'd been such a hard worker all my life, and I thought, well, if I put my mind to anything, I can do it. And so the first time I had a miscarriage, it was was just sort of like I felt like I had lost control and that it was my fault and that I did something. And the second time it happened, it just really kind of sort of shook me to the core. To get a link right to that episode, just text the word LISA to the number 70101. And to hear more of the stories we tell on our show about everything from student loan debt to pornography, make sure you subscribe to Death, Sex, and Money at deathsexmoney.org or wherever you're listening to this episode. Coming up next in the maternity leave lineup, John Cameron Mitchell. He interviews jazz legend Marilyn May about her 80 years in the entertainment business and loving and leaving several alcoholic men along the way. There was bad stuff going on behind the scenes, you know. Yeah. Were you a... Were you a saver? Were you a helper? Didn't I think I could... could, Didn't I think I could make him quit drinking? Couldn't I just uh, fix him? This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. 
And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Lisa Ling. After Nora Lum lost her office job, she spent her early 20s going all in on her alter ego, Aquafina. She kept releasing music and comedy on her YouTube channel, and she covered her bills in Queens by working a series of odd jobs, including one at a vegan bodega. Then, in 2018, everything finally came together in a big way. Ocean's 8 and Crazy Rich Asians made her a movie star. And with all that fame came a lot of money. Like, I don't splurge on literally anything except except for karaoke nights if I'm treating, like, a whole group of friends. <laughs> I'll drop, like, I'll drop, like, three Gs on a, group, on a night of karaoke. But, like, for myself, like, no, these pants are from Target, dude. <laughs> I'm literally wearing Target pants. What my grandma instilled with me with all that money worrying is that, like, like a like an anxiety that one, that it's it's going to be gone. Does that kind of mentality? Do you feel like you need to accept anything that is offered to you? What do you mean? Well, I mean, I, I people who don't grow up with, with a lot when they start getting opportunities, it's hard for them to say no sure. because oh, they don't think that something's going to come along tomorrow. For the record, I have no problem saying no if it's whack, right? Um, that's that's the thing. That's where my relationship with money gets weird. It's like. I'm not going to do something that I don't believe in for money. You know, even if I was broke, I wouldn't do that. Like, what are some of the things that, that you would never A panty do? liner commercial, a wrapping lunch lady um, for, like, a really big brand. Uh, a lot of things like that. Like, th- things that, you know, that just that just don't make sense. Like, why? You know, because this is a long game for me. This is a, a long game. You know, I don't care if I go broke playing the long game in the, in the meantime— um, I just, I, I think that um, when I think about my career, I think 50 steps ahead. I'm not thinking about right now. Uh, I'm sitting across from you wearing your Target track pants. Yeah. <laughs> and I also see these images of you constantly um, in designer dresses. At what point would you say you kind of like got in touch with that like feminine side of you? Or or are you in touch with that? I'm still not in touch with it. I'm still not in touch with it. Um that's long gone. I don't. I, I gave up. I give up. Um, I, you know, like the tomboy. I was reading this book, and it was like, "What do you do with a tom man? What happens when you are tom man?" Um, I think uh, it, it, it's it's a perpetual feeling of 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 difference. Always, when I go out with like my fr- my friends, like uh, in in K Town, like you know, they get all gussied up, and I just don't. I understand. I, I you know, I can't harness that. Well, what's that like for guys to date a woman who, in some cases, could be more like boyish than they are. I mean, you, it's a certain certain kind of guy for sure. And so, did you did like how old were you when you had your first my first like relationship or um maybe like seven, 16, 17 like high school boyfriend and then um and then like two two other ones that were like really serious. Do you remember when you first felt love for someone else? Um two different kinds of love. I think I felt um 
like that kind of like that crazy love that like you know you know you drive in a diaper across the country for, uh, which I don't believe. I, I don't. I'm not unfamiliar with that kind of love. But <laughs> oh, you don't put on diaper and you drive across know, the country no. to make sure that um, they're not cheating. Oh, okay, that's weird. I don't know. That's weird. Uh, this is the astronaut lady. You remember the astronaut yes, lady? Yes, that did yes, that? yes, yes, yes. Yeah, she, okay, that's she right, did that's it. Right, that's she did right. it. Um, there, that that there's two kinds of love. That that love that I first experienced was not love. It was infatuation. It was a it was like a projection of what you believed is like someone that's totally out of your league and then you finally got him and you have to do whatever it takes because, you know, that's not love. That's games. That's mind games. Um, the first time I felt love was uh, probably, you know, like in my last relationship, um, it was a, a, a cooperative thing. It wasn't like, oh my God, like I have to make sure I take a bird bath before like we, you know, oh my God, I have to like shave my sideburns. Like it wasn't like that kind. It was like, this is really me. And, and, um, the feeling of, of having someone there and like not having to worry about any of that stuff, that, that was real, real love to me. And I think that, you know, in, in the relationship that I'm in now, it's, it's, uh, it's like an unconditional love. It's, it's unconditional. It's, there's no, there's no airs. There's, there's none of that. Um, and I, and that, that's, that's love for me. And it's very rare. I haven't experienced it a lot. I know you recently moved from your beloved New York know, to dude. LA. I know. I know. <laughs> has has your grandma been out to visit? We're 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 working on it right now. She wants to she was like, Yeah, I'm gonna come to visit California. I'm so excited and, and maybe I'll stay for three months. And I was like, What? You know? It's like, damn, you wanna stay for three months? Okay, in, in my in my open loft. Yeah, that's that's cool. Um <laughs> But you know, at the same time, I don't know. You can't know. say you can't say uh, no to yes, grandma. You can't say no to that, so what is um what does your grandma think of your life now? And what does your dad think of your life now? They're all about it, man. My dad's such a <laughs> my dad's such a hypocrite. I call him out <laughs> all the time. He's so against it. And then he became like my the tour manager I never like when I my first tour, he finally got on board and he was like, you know what? I I'll be a tour manager. And he would book me on like a flight from like like New York to Philadelphia, but like I'd stop in Atlanta on the way and wait there for four days. Like those were the flights he was putting me on, and and now he just wants to he wants to be my, like my business manager. And I was like, no, 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 no. I've seen way too many behind the music uh, stories about like no. Um, so they're, they're on board. My grandma supported me from day one. She bought me singing lessons. Um, she never ever told me um, that a dream was too big ever. And she always, um, that thing, that same thing that always made me feel weird or out of place. Like she, she encouraged that. She, she knew that that was, that was what made me special. What does it, what does it mean to you, you know, given where you are now, that you had this woman who was in your corner, who was Mm -hmm. like rooting for you and who knew that you could achieve whatever you wanted to achieve? Mm -hmm. I think that it, uh, it, it, you know, in a combination of that and being raised by my dad, it, it never, I was never introduced to any kind of role of, of the Asian stereotypical woman's place um, because my grandma was not any of those. Um, my grandma was the neck of my family, the financial neck of my family for a long time. Um, my grandma worked four jobs while my grandpa was out gambling, you know. I only knew of an Asian woman being a strong woman. And uh, my grandma, my grandma taught me that. That's Nora Lum, a.k.a. Aquafina. 
She's currently working on a Comedy Central pilot about her life growing up in Queens, and you can also see her in her first dramatic role in a great movie called The Farewell. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. The team includes Katie Bishop, Annabelle Bacon, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote the theme music. I'm on Twitter, at Lisa Ling, and also on Instagram, at Lisa Lingstagram. New episodes of my show, This Is Life, are coming to CNN this fall, and you can find past episodes right now at cnn.com slash thisislife. If you're not subscribed to this show, Death, Sex, and Money, make sure you hit that subscribe button because it is a really good podcast. And if you don't know where to start, they've even got a starter kit of some of their favorite episodes just for you. Find it at deathsexmoney.org. I want to go back to something I read, and this is way back, and I know it's a little bit of a tangent. But, yeah. You know, I know that you uh, you went to LaGuardia School of mm. Performing Arts for trumpet. Yeah. And is it true that you chose trumpet because it was like a loud instrument? It's the loudest in the band. I don't want a piccolo. <laughs> yeah, like, like, what? why am I not shocked? No, but also, you know what? I, no, I was a ham. And we played Live in La Vida Loca. And I got yelled at by my band teacher because I wouldn't let the woodwind shine. And I was like, um, Live in La Vida Loca is like the brassiest song you could ever choose. <laughs> Woodwinds have no place in this song, right? Shut up. Let me shine. I'm Lisa Ling, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. WNYC.